Glad you're with us. My name is Bryant, lead pastor of Centerpoint, and uh, as Nicole mentioned, we're one church, two locations, and we're tracking together right now in this series, Be Fearless, and you are lucky that I can't smell fish up here or there'd be dry heaves um, randomly throughout this message. So, all right, so last week, uh, we started talking about this whole issue of fear, and maybe it's too big a statement to say we all struggle with it, but I think we all struggle with it at some level. And so last week, here was our definition of fear that we started with. Fear is an emotion because we feel it, right? I mean, physically, the feeling of fear can affect our body. It's an emotion, it's, it's physical, and it's perpetuated by the thoughts of looming future loss. So a lot of fear, obviously, is about the future, the job what are your kids are going to do, uh, whether you're going to get the deal or not, what's going to happen to the market share. If you're a follower of Jesus, it even relates to your relationship with God, where maybe he's leading and prompting you to do something. And part of the reason you won't jump is because of fear of, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like I may miss out on something. And all of it centers around the thoughts of looming future loss. And so today what I want to do as we dive into part two is I want to talk about what I would call kind of the cousin companion of fear, and it's this right here, anxiety. And this is all over the room. Again, maybe I can't say all, but I think all at some level struggle with or have experienced anxiety. Here's the question as we start to tackle this today. Would you say that we are more anxious as a culture than we were a year ago? Would you say that we're more anxious than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I mean, last week as I was giving examples about the fact that I feel like this is so relevant for our culture and where we're at, as I'm giving examples, there's another example happening in Texas as I'm standing on this stage, right? It's, it's like you can't even keep up. And so we, we have more to be anxious about maybe than ever before. And the thing is, I have a lot of conversations with people just because of what I do and uh, different age groups, different generations. And one of the things you'll find even among students, high school students, middle school students in particular, is that there is more anxiety for them than ever before. This isn't an adult thing. In fact, there is some crazy statistics um, centering around high school and middle school students where it says that the levels of anxiety for a high school student today, 2017, is the same as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Like that's how off the rails this is. We're more anxious than ever before. In fact, they say that Americans specifically, and that's a lot of who we're talking to online or in the house, Americans are more anxious than just about anybody in the world. Like literally, when you move to the United States, these things that they've studied, you become more anxious. So maybe that should just be a conversation piece around immigration. Like I think there's amazing things available in this country, but just a heads up, if you move here, you will be more anxious. You just need to know, right? Here's the other thing. Over the last 80 years, anxiety levels have grown every single year from you know, World War II to financial collapse in 08 to 9-11 to political unrest, I mean, to natural disasters. Again, every single year, our levels of anxiety are increasing. So it's a big deal. And, and we're all touched at some level. If it's not you, then it's somebody close to you. And, and so all of us have experienced it. All of us know about it. And, and here's the thing that kind of makes me insecure in diving into this is I'm, I'm just a dude. Like, I don't have the answers. I can't give you some formula of this is the way through it. In fact, here's what I would say is this is so complex. 
This is so layered. Not there yet. Go back. Uh, so layered. Um, it, it's just a big deal. Actually, I should go there next because I forgot to do this. Here's our definition of anxiety. Anxiety is the present emotion of inner ter- turmoil produced by the uncertainty of the future. And I don't really need to unpack that. that that's what anxiety is. And, and it is layered. It is complex. And so uh, this is not a, hey, here's a verse for you. Just slap a verse on it and you'll be good. Just have more faith. I think of anything else, and in some ways I'm grateful for this, is some things that my wife and I have walked through with her battles with mental illness, and God has led and given freedom and healing and so much of that over the years that we have been together, but she's very open and blogs about it and has a huge ministry around that. Um, And then specifically her battle with anxiety has introduced me to it in a way that I think I would have constantly been naive because this isn't my bent. This isn't a massive struggle for me, but it is for my wife, and it's touched us in very extreme ways. And so I know, I think as good as anybody, that this is complex. This is difficult. There are no easy answers. And my my hope today is not to simply give you a couple verses to slap on your problem. And I recognize there's more than just what we're going to talk about over the next 40 minutes, God willing, if I can stay within my time frame. So it's a big deal. But here's what I do believe, and I rest in this, and I have confidence in this, is that there is freedom that is possible for you. And it's not that anxiety is going to go away completely. It's not that fear is going to be eradicated forever. But there is the possibility and the invitation to live a life where you are not controlled by fear at every corner of your decision-making and in every season when you, you turn around, there is freedom that is available. And so as we dive into this, like the question is, okay, so how, I mean, most of you, you know if you struggle or not, but how, but how, do, I, how do I know I struggle with anxiety? Here, here's a little list because it is an emotion that affects you emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, so there's a couple of things that might help you. If you have headaches, muscle aches, tension, sleep disturbances, tightness felt throughout the body in the heck, neck, jaw, and face. If you have chest pains, ringing, pulsing ears, excessive sweating, shaking, trembling, cold spells, hot flashes, accelerated heart rate, numbness or tingling, depersonalization, realization, stomach nausea, shortness of breath, feeling like you are going insane, dizziness, and feeling faint, you might have anxiety. Did, did I get everybody? Like, did I name your emotion? Did I name your struggle? Like, that's like, we, we already kind of know the symptoms. I, I asked my wife as I was, I was studying for this, like, hey, can I share any stories? And I did make sure I ran this by her. But this is like, I'll never forget, there's one day where I could just tell she wasn't right. Like, she just wasn't feeling well. She wasn't bothered. And I'm just like, hey, how, how are you doing? Like, what, what's, what's the problem? Tell me the problem and I'll fix it because I'm a good fixer and that works great in my marriage. So I'm like, just tell me what's going on and I'm going to, I'll fix it quick, um, probably in two or three points. And so I'm, I'm asking her about this and suddenly she just starts to tell me, like, I'm just struggling with my anxiety. And then what comes out of her mouth next is uh, it just dumbfounded me. She's like, I, I know that I'm supposed to be worried. There's something I'm worried about, but I can't remember what I'm worried about. And so I'm just super anxious about it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because my personal, I don't even understand that. I'm like, okay, have a great day. Like, just go on your way. But literally, she's carrying anxiety about something she's worried about, but she can't remember what she's worried about. Anybody else in the house? Well, you can, it's a safe place. 
to not lie. Like we, we've all experienced. So here's what you know, is that anxiety at some level, it kind of feels like a weight. It's kind of something that you, you drag along with you. It can distract you. It can slow you down. And, and in fact, that, that's kind of how I would describe it just from a visual level. And I realized first service, this rock is way heavier than I anticipated. So, um, but, it, but it is. It's this thing that that you know there's not really any beneficial outcomes, but that doesn't really help you, right? Like, if anything, it's taking years off of your life. It's not adding to your life. In fact, that's in the scripture. But it's just this thing from season to season, from relationship to relationship, from decision to decision. Like, it's this weight that distracts us, and at some level, it just slows us down in life. And what most of us do is, because we don't know the root of this, is we just figure out how to manage it. And so figuratively, we, because this is the best way I could think to describe it, is we just kind of put it in a backpack. You remember these? When you'd fill these up with your trapper keepers and whatnot, and they were heavy. And like, it's just something where we don't really want to let people know about it. We don't want to have it out there. It's not something in many cases that we broadcast, but we do learn to live our lives around it, right? We learn to manage it. We learn to kind of keep it quiet and stuff it, but it still goes with us everywhere. It goes with us from job to job, season to season, relationship to relationship. And you can probably look without a lot of thinking, without a lot of investigation and realize decisions you've made and places you've gone and places you haven't gone and, and things that you've done and really the root of it was this thing, this, this anxiety thing that you're carrying around. It's literally affected multiple areas of your life. You just have learned to live with it. You just drag it around with you. So the question is, okay, what's the answer? And the answer is just stop it. Just stop being anxious. Just, you, just, just stop. Let's pray. Right? I mean, have you ever had anybody tell you that, hey, you don't need to be anxious about that? Okay, that'll, that'll solve it. All I needed to hear was you say that I don't need to be anxious about it for me to not be anxious. And, and really, the, the advice just tends to be just stop, just stop being anxious. Well, luckily, the scripture gives us a, a little insight on this where you, when you ask the question, okay, what do we do? What is the way forward? There's two authors in particular, a guy by the name of Peter, a guy by the name of Paul. And we talked and, and read some of Paul's writings last week. I want to go back to him in a second. And then there's also this guy, Peter. And so as you look at their writing, it is easy to think, okay, these guys wrote about anxiety 2,000 years ago without fidget spinners. Like, how much did they really know about anxiety? But as we even looked at with Paul, I mean, I mean, Paul, I mean, he was in a culture where anxiety was real. Peter, the other guy we're going to look at, he was in a culture where anxiety is real. Almost from day one of his following Jesus, he had people hunting him down. Church extra biblical literature says that probably the end of his life, he was crucified upside down on a cross. There was a lot that he had to be anxious about. And so these guys, I think at a very real level, knew about anxiety. And here's what Peter specifically writes about as he's describing this whole dynamic in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. And this is going to be on the screen. If you've got an app, it's also, you can download version and find um, the NIV version, which I'm reading out of to take a look at this. And if you can't find it at all, and this is all new to you, that's great. Just follow the screen. But here's what Peter says, writes about it, 1 Peter 5.5. 5, and I'm going to set this down, which is where the metaphor breaks down, but I am not carrying that the whole time. Verse 5 says this, All of you clothe yourselves with, what's the word? 
humility. And right there, you're like, well, I thought we were talking about anxiety. And Peter's like, well, we'll get there. But just like last week, we started talking about fear and then this kind of companion emotion or this thing that combats fear, which is the in spite of love of Christ. That's not something intuitively we'd come to on our own. And so he's about to make a strong case, and you maybe have never thought about it before, but there is a connection between humility and your anxiety. And so he says this, all of you, which means all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And then this is a strong statement. Because God opposes the proud. Literally, in the Greek, it's a military term that means he brings all of his force against it. That God opposes the proud or sets himself up against the proud, but he shows favor to, what's the word again? The humble. Literally, do you want to know what moves the heart of God? There's several things, but one of the chief things that moves the heart of God is humility. That you are never more like your Savior if you're a follower of Jesus. You are never more like your Heavenly Father than when you are clothed in that your life is characterized by humility. Because here's what we believe. That there was a Savior, God's Son, Jesus, who condescended into human flesh. And he literally gave up all of his divine attributes. Put it in our language. He gave up everything that was owed him. All that he deserved for the sake of us. Literally, he made himself less for the sake of humanity and what he wanted to do for humanity. So when we exhibit humility, we are most like our Savior, and it moves the heart of our Savior in a way that few things do. doesn't mean he's going to love you more. doesn't mean there's more of his grace, but there is a uniqueness to the intimacy of our relationship when we are deciding to live and model our lives like him. And so what Peter's saying is there's a connection here, and literally when you're living your life in pride, It is really setting yourself up against your Savior, that things seem to work against you, not that God's against you, but he has created a world where as you model his characteristics, something unique begins to happen. And here, we already know this, but here's kind of the difference between pride and humility. Pride says, I got this. And in relation to our anxiety, this is huge, where we feel like With that thing, with our 25-year-old kid, with our aging parents, and we're trying to figure out where to go and what to do next, with our dream that may die or may not come to fruition, with with our financial decisions, with our career and, and what's going on there, with our marriage relationship, to trying to find reconciliation in that friendship, to where we've got this idea of even when we are riddled and controlled and overridden by anxiety, we're just going to kind of white, white knuckle it and we're going to make our way through it. Like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to be okay. And what Peter is saying, the actual first step to beginning to allow God to do something at the level of your anxiety anxiety is just to admit you do not got this. It doesn't mean that you're irresponsible. It doesn't mean you don't move to help your aging parents. It doesn't mean that you're not doing everything for your kid who you love more than life itself for some of us. It just means at the end of the day, recognizing in your heart and your mind, you cannot control it, right? 
You cannot control what happens with your 25-year-old. You cannot control your financial future. Some of us have found that out the hard way. We cannot control every dream and hope and desire for our career. We cannot control whether they come back or whether we reach health in that relationship or in that marriage. We can do everything that we could possibly do, but at the end of the day, we do not control the future. And humility is the opposite where it just says, I can't. I can't. Again, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to do all I can today to be responsible and obey God if I'm a follower of Jesus. But then there's going to be a moment where I just open my hands to go, what happens at the end of the day, I cannot control. But luckily, I'm in relationship with somebody who does. I can't, and ultimately, you can and so where we struggle is not with pride over our anxiety, because usually we, we hide that. But where we struggle is pride with, I'm going to be able to handle this, and I'm going to be able to make it through. And Peter's like, no, you're not. And I would just add this, and this is not my notes, but it's just coming to me, is this is one of the reasons I think some of us are not willing to take whatever steps we need to take. Like your, your life is being dominated by this, but you won't open up to anybody. You'll never think of going into counseling because you have all these weird, crazy views about that. And so you'll just continue to live with it when there are options where you could take steps to maybe find healing and you just won't take the steps to find that healing. And Peter says the root of that is your pride because you think you can handle it. And so... After he says this, he naturally says, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. I love this language, that he may lift you up in due time. And you're like, well, I feel way down. I, well, I know you do, because you think you've got to carry it. Do you understand the shift of moving to a place to go, again, I'm going to do all I can do, but I, I can't carry it. I cannot control the future. Some of us have learned that in very painful ways where finally God released the grip of our desire to control every part of our lives to where we just came to the realization, I cannot, but I'm going to place my trust in the one who rules over everything that is out of my control. And he says, when you can start to shift your focus and your attention in this direction from I got it to I can't, over time, the weight will begin to lift. But here's where we struggle. We struggle with due time. Because for me and for you, we don't get to choose when due time is, do we? Like, we're the morons that burn our mouths on Hot Pockets, right? <laughs> like, Hot Pockets, which is supposed to be the fastest meal in the world, but we can't wait 30 seconds. Have you ever done that thing where you spit it out, like, because oh, it's so hot? We... We can't wait for anything. And so Peter's going, okay, this is where the struggle is because you want to start going, okay, I'm going to shift my fo focus from I can't to God to you can. And by Tuesday, you're like, where are you at? He's like, no, 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 due time doesn't work that way. But here is the promise to begin to just maybe stake your life on. In due time, God will lift the weight and he will lift you up. But part of it is coming to the place to go, I can't do it. And then he says this, and he gets more specific. Maybe you've heard this verse. Cast all your anxiety on him. God's going on me because I, because he cares for you. 
And I'm going to explain this hopefully even more practically in a second, or really Paul is, but I'm going to unpack his words. But here, here's what he's saying. What you need to do is take it off your shoulders and put it onto his. And literally this passage means to throw all of the weight of this thing that you're carrying onto him. See, here, here's, here is the painful reality of where a lot of our anxiety is coming from. For a lot of us, it's stemming from us carrying what we were never meant or designed to carry. And he's going, I want you to give that to me. And maybe some of this weight that you feel, not that you shouldn't care, not that there shouldn't be some really legit emotional prayers, not that you shouldn't do everything that you can, but the fact that you can't sleep, the fact that those whispers are deafening, the fact that you can't seem to get rest, the fact that physically you are riddled by all of these uncertainties about the future, maybe it stems from you trying to carry what you are never, ever, ever going to be able to carry because you weren't designed to carry it. You can't control the future. You can't control the relationship. You can't control what God has down the road. You don't even know what it is, but he does. And so he says, kind of in our terms, I want you to cast your care on me because of the fact that I care for you. Next slide. That because I have done something in history, there is this possibility where you can throw all of the weight in my direction. And you do not have to carry it. Now, here's the question for some of us. I don't know if this is you online or in the house, but there is a legitimate question. Okay, so how do I know he cares for me at that level? Do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? Do you know even the decisions that I have made out of this emotion? And here's the reality. This is the backdrop behind what Peter's saying is there is a focal point in history for every single one of us that says we have a God who cares and can carry our anxiety. And the focal point is the cross. That when we look back to the focal point of 2,000 years ago, there is a time, there is a place, there is an event where God throughout history is creating this megaphone for all of us to go, you can rest in me and I can carry it because I have proven my care for you. And come on, here's why crucifixion was necessary. Here's the answer to the question of why would God come and then have to die on a cross? That answer is really simple. Love must be shown to be known. Love must be demonstrated to be authenticated. You only know how much somebody cares to the extent that they're willing to sacrifice for you, right? You can breathe all the noise in the world about how you love and care. I only know that you love and care by the level of sacrifice that you are willing to engage in on my behalf. And the cross says that God was willing to stop at nothing to show to you and me that despite you and in spite of you, I love you. And the cross is this focal point to know in the midst of your darkest circumstances, God can be trusted, God cares, and God can care whatever is weighing you down. And it's why Jesus says this. I love these words. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Like, just bring it with you. And I will give you rest. I've got this. But we don't live like he's got this. And so because due time doesn't happen soon enough for us, we pick it up again and we go into control mode. 
And he's going, I want to take that from you, and I want to bear the weight of you trying to become a surrogate savior, and I want you to trust in me as your God and the holder of your future and your hopes and your dreams. And so would you, at the feet of Jesus, would you cast all of the weight on me of what you are carrying and trust that I can, can carry it because of the fact that I care for you. It's why every day of our lives, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And let me put that more in our street language. Like we, we need to remind ourselves, however we do that, that we do serve a God who is able. He raises up nations and then he decides he's done with them. He raises up leaders and kings, and then he just decides to set them back down. He moves history. He raises the dead. He defeats hell. He is a sovereign, all-powerful, in-control creator, sustainer of the universe who knows your name. And he says to every single one of us, when anxiety and the fear of the future seems to overwhelm you, I am able and I am with you. I am present. It's why Emmanuel came to earth, God with us. And, and this is the real linchpin, and I am good. So not only am I able, not only am I with you, but I care and I am good. And you can cast every bit of the weight that you are carrying on to me. And you just need to remind yourself of that every day. I'm not able. I don't know the conclusion of this. I don't see how I'm going to continue on. I don't know how I'm going to survive this. But here's what I do know I have a God who is able, I have a God who is with me and present, and I have a God who is good, and his goodness shouts throughout the ages from the cross of Jesus Christ that there is no anxiety that can override me. And Peter, at the end of his life, abandons Jesus on Easter weekend. Epic failure. Has every reason in the world to be anxious, and then right after Easter weekend has breakfast on the beach with Jesus. And so he says to all of us through the writings, like, I just want you to know I failed in an epic way. There is none of this that I deserved. And even in spite of my failure, even despite of the fact that I abandoned and denied Jesus, Jesus on the beach affirmed to me that this is in spite of love and it's still available. And I was able to experience freedom and peace from anxiety that few of us can even relate to. And it's possible for you. And then Paul comes along. And I don't need to give you his backstory. I gave it to you last week, but he's like, okay, so here's how. If all that's like, that's great, but that's kind of spiritual language, and uh, I can't, he can cast my care on him because he cares for me. How? And so Paul's like, here's how. This is why I love the scripture. If it is all ethereal, and there is ethereal, mysterious parts of the scripture, but if it's all ethereal, it's because somebody hasn't broken it down for you. Philippians 4, 6, here's what Paul said, falsely accused, imprisoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, stoned, eventually beheaded. He knows something about this. He says this, do not be anxious about anything. And right there, you're like, not helpful. Not help. Paul, all due respect, not helpful. This is the equivalent of don't stop being anxious. That's not lead me anywhere. What he's saying is you don't you don't have to believe me yet, but you don't have to be controlled by anxiety. There is a way through. There is freedom that is possible. And so don't be anxious, but in every situation, the marriage, your adult kids, 
What are you going to do with your aging parents, your dreams, your hopes, your ambitions, your career, the market share, the decision that you have to make? Should you sign on the dotted line? What's going to happen to them? Am I going to be able to survive this? How am I going to feel if this doesn't work out? The whispers of you are not enough, this failure is going to do you in, that God is not good, that not, God's not going to be with you, that in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, pause, that is still not helpful. Paul, okay, so you're, seriously, your answer to me is pray, and Paul's like, shh, shut up, I'm not done yet. But yeah, one of the ways that you redirect and one of the ways that you overpower anxiety has to do with prayer. But prayer is not all that Paul's saying, and if you read this verse of, hey, just pray about it. You'll never really get to where Paul is leading us. Here's what I know about some of you. In your struggle with anxiety, you've prayed more than you've ever prayed before, right? I mean, some of you are atheists, and you find yourself, when things are bad enough, you are praying to a God that you don't believe in. All of us tend to pray when we really need help, and so you're like, well, that doesn't help. I've prayed more than I've ever prayed in my life, but it's given me no freedom from this. And Paul's like, okay, just hang with me. I'm not done. I'm not done yet. But let me just start there with prayer and petition. Petition means I know something needs to change, and so I'm petitioning someone who I believe can change it. And thanksgiving is a part of that because you need to be intentional about rooting yourself in the now. This is a whole other message by itself. Like Paul even starts this whole section to go, hey, everybody rejoice. And again, that's not helpful, but here's what Paul's saying. The reason I say that is because when things are good, because when anxiety is not knocking at your door, when everything seems to be going in a good direction for you, you don't really have to be intentional about rejoicing in the things that really matter, like what God's done, who he is, your hope for the future. You don't really have to be intentional about being thankful. He says, when the bottom drops out, you do. So I want you to come in prayer and petition, and I want you to rejoice in what you have to rejoice about. Remember what God's done. Be thankful about what is happening in the now, even in the midst of all of the things that you can't control. And then he's about to unpack further because he's like, if you think I'm just saying pray, I'm not saying just pray. You need more than that when the voices come at 2 a.m. You, you need more than that when you don't think you can move forward. You need more than that when literally your life is controlled at, in every way by this entity of anxiety. And so here's what Paul says. This is so brilliant on Paul's part. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, go back, present your requests to God. You're like, we well, you just said the same thing a different way. But here's where the Greek helps us present. Here's what Paul is literally saying. I'm not just talking about pray, pray. In fact, what I'm about to describe for you, some of you have never done in your life, and you've prayed hundreds of prayers. I want you to present, literally the Greek word means, I want you to solve a mystery. Present literally means, another Greek translation means, to come to the place where you get full knowledge of. And what Paul's about to unpack for us is this. Yeah, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, but here's where it gets real. I want you to present your request to God. I want you to solve a mystery. I want you to come to the full knowledge of, and his point is this, what you think you're anxious about, you're not really anxious about. You, you, you are coming to God about the career. There's about three layers lower than just the career that is what you're actually anxious about. 
You're coming about the relationship, and that's a big deal, but some of your anxiety is about two layers below that. You're coming to me about the job. You're coming to me about your financial future. You're coming to me about the dream, and all of those things are legit, but that's not actually the root of your anxiety. And so what Paul is saying to you and me is, I want you to ask this question, why am I anxious really What is this really about? What do I really fear? What is really behind the career and aging parents and marriage and decision and dreams and and financial future? What is really at the heart of what keeps me up and moves me to be debilitated at times? What do I really fear? What am I really anxious about? And here's the reality for all of us, that your greatest anxiety parallels your deepest insecurities. Your greatest anxiety parallels your deepest fears. And in fact, I'll take it a step further. Your greatest anxieties parallel your deepest desires. And so Paul's going, if you are ever going to find freedom over anxiety, if you are ever going to be able to experience all that God has for you, you don't just pray. You need to get shockingly honest. You need to dig down and you need to come before your Savior to go, okay, what do I really fear and what am I really anxiety ridden about among all of the things that I keep presenting to you because that's the space where God really wants to work. And so Paul's going, you need to reveal your deepest insecurities deepest fears, deepest desires, because it is at that uncomfortable place where God will begin to work and you will learn how to cast all of your cares on him. Let me, let me unpack it this way, and I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what maybe anxieties you brought in here this morning, but here are some of the questions behind this. What's your thing? And maybe for some of you, what you're really anxious about is, I'm saying it's the job, but it's really, God, I don't know if I can trust you. I'm saying that it's them, but really, I'm afraid of what it will say about me to others if this doesn't happen. I'm telling everybody where this anxiety is stemming from, but really, at the heart of it, I'm not sure that I can survive that kind of pain again. That's what I'm really anxious about. I'm not sure I want to believe, God, that this is your plan for me, and I'm afraid of what it'll do to my faith. I'm afraid that if I believe, God, that you let this happen, that I won't be able to believe that you are good. That's where I'm anxious. Honestly, this is painful. This is, this is hard for me to confront. I wonder if I am valuable enough for you to even care. And I say it's this thing or it's him or it's her, but really that's, that's what I'm carrying. If this happens, I will feel like you are abandoning me, whoever you is. I won't feel important if this doesn't work out. And so here's what Paul is trying to lead us toward. It's simply this, that God cannot speak to the anxiety and to the fear that you have not identified. See, one of the most powerful things in all the scripture is that you have a way forward and there is the possibility of real healing and real peace the moment you can get honest with God. And without it, there is no way forward. And so Paul's going, have you ever even considered what your deepest insecurities are behind the anxiety, your deepest fears, your deepest desires? 
because it's in those places that you will find what you're really anxious about. So what are you anxious about really? Are you willing to solve the mystery? Are you willing to come to the full knowledge of? Because a lot of us have prayed for years and we've never prayed at that level. And then he says this, and this is the end result. When you can identify it, I can't, God, you can. I want to cast my care on you. And the beginning place to cast my care on you is to go, okay, what am I anxious about really? Because I want to solve that mystery. And then he says, and when that happens in due time, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, meaning it doesn't make sense in light of your circumstances. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, I love this, will guard your hearts and your minds in who? One more time. In who? It's the only way. And literally translation means he will stand watch over your heart, over your mind, and over your emotions. I, I love this picture. Any Duke Blue Devil basketball fans in the house? Okay, so this example is going to go over um, tremendously. <laughs> so if you ever watched college basketball before, uh, I'll just fill you in, then go YouTube it. But Duke Blue Devils, they play among the Cameron Crazies, Cameron Indoor Stadium, and um, in Carolina, and they, incredible basketball tradition, Krzyzewski just hit a thousand wins last night, I think, but if you go all the way back, Bob Hurley, and, and um, Wojciechowski, and Collins, and all those guys, the guards will stand out on their end of the court, and when the other team is coming, they'll do this thing in the middle of the games where all the guards will get down, and they'll just pound the floor like this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Three people? All right, so it, it, like, it's this powerful thing, and the, and the crowd gets going, and everybody's going crazy, but, but they'll get in that position, and as the team's coming down, just all their guards at, at the front end of the court as they're coming across midcourt, and what really they're saying is, you're not going to get by us. You're not going to get to the basket. You're not going to be able to penetrate our defense. You're not going to be able to get around us. You, you will not be able to move past our defenses and our guards. Like, we will keep you out. And when I read this verse, that's what I see is, if you think you're back in basketball camp, but this is God going, I want to stand watch over your heart, over your mind, over your emotions, but you have to let me in and you have to do everything possible to get to a place where you can solve the mystery that you've never solved, where you can come to the full knowledge of what you've never had full knowledge of and you're carrying anxiety and you're praying prayers that are not getting to the heart into the root of the issue. So here's, here's where a lot of us are at and I get it, I'm there, but we're sending God out to stand watch over our career and over our job and over the scholarship and over the house that we want. And he's going, that's not doing anything for you. I want you to send God out to stand watch over what you are actually anxious about. And when you do, God will begin to move. And it may not happen by Tuesday. And it may not happen next month. But as you begin to go, God, I can't but I am 
wanting to throw the weight of this on you because I can't keep living like this. And I know, even if at moments it's just intellectual, I know that you can carry the weight. I know that you are able. I know that you are good. I know that you are with me. And so I just want to rest in that. I want to rejoice in that. I want to worship through that until my emotions catch up with what is true. But then I want to begin to get honest about the layers two and three layers down in terms of why I'm really anxiety ridden because I want to invite you in as I humble myself and bow my knee before you so that you can stand watch in a way that brings peace into my life where people will look on and go it doesn't make sense and it's not compatible with the circumstances and all of that will be true because it's only through the supernatural power of Jesus that supersedes and overrides the circumstances So here's my question as we end, because I know that this 39 minutes, I got to move. For some of you, this this doesn't tie a bow on anything, but I I just want to maybe leave you with this question. What if that kind of peace is actually true? It's actually available. You could actually experience that because some of you have given into the lie of this multi-generational stuff and your mom and what you experienced at 21 and the circumstances that are just too much right now in your life. But what if you just, by the authority of the scripture, rested in the fact that that peace is possible for you? And it doesn't matter your faithfulness. This is in spite of your lack of faithfulness. This is possible for you. And, and here's what I love. The cross, the cross reminds us that God is willing to carry whatever it is you're carrying. But it's the empty grave that reminds us that God is able to carry whatever it is that you're carrying. Because he walked out of a grave alive and defeated death. And because he is a God of resurrection, what do we have to fear? And so he says to us that that kind of peace is possible. And Jesus is going, I know what you're anxious about is legit. I don't want to minimize that. It's a big deal, but it is not bigger than me. So I want to give you two things as we close to just summarize. And the starting place for you is just this. Will you move from, I got this, and keep trying to carry your fear and anxiety? Or where you'll make a shift to say, I can't, and I'm going to cast all of my anxiety on the one who cares for me. And here's what you'll find throughout the scripture, and this is not cultural, this is not intuitive. Nobody outside of the brilliance of what has been revealed through the inspired word of God will lead you to this conclusion. But throughout the scripture and in God's economy, every declaration of weakness is an acquisition of strength. Every time you declare that you are weak, you are acquiring strength. And he's going, I want you to just start there. Come on. You'll either learn this the hard way or you'll do it now. You can't. You can't. You are not going to be able to do it. You can't. And when you declare that weakness, God moves in with his strength in a way he wouldn't do any other way because it is humility that grabs the heart of God. And then second, okay, so how do I cast my care on him? I'm just going to start with this honest prayer, which is simply this. I don't need to wait for the slide. The honest prayer is just, God, why am I anxious, really? 
The way you begin to cast your care on him is to move to a place where you can get honest to go, okay, why am I anxious really? And you just keep praying, not until the circumstances change because they may never change. You keep praying until the peace comes. And in due time, whenever due time is, God has promised he will begin to work at the level of your anxiety that maybe you've carried for a long time. So let me get you started with just this. God, I need you to, what is it for you? God, I need you to, what is it? God, I need you to come through. God, I need you to do this. God, I need you to move in them. God, I need you to restore this. God, I need you to. And the second part of it, and if you don't, I am afraid that. What are you really anxious about? If you don't, if this doesn't happen, I'm afraid that. So, so where are you most anxious? Because where you're most anxious parallels your deepest desires, your deepest fears, your deepest insecurities. And Jesus is saying to you, I want to work. I want to lead you through. And I just need you to get honest with me. And when you do, to say, I can't and you can. And I want to cast my care on you. And you start to get shockingly PG-13, R-rated, honest, whatever it is for you. I will move into your life because it says, if you draw near to God, he'll draw near unto you. And I will guard your heart. And I will stand watch over your heart. And I will stand watch over your mind and I will stand watch over your emotions in a way that is not humanly possible apart from me and you will experience the peace that transcends all understanding it is available to you and so Jesus says follow me would you guys all over the house would you just stand with me and the band is going to close out and if there's any way you can remain seated and not exit early for some of you maybe that's not possible but just in respect out of what God is maybe doing in the person next to you or around you we just want to declare some of these truths through worship and song and we talked about last week how powerful this is but right now where you're at would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and I just would like to pray over you and I would love for us to agree in prayer and I say this a lot that corporately when we pray together it's not us just consuming it's us agreeing together and so in your own heart and mind it doesn't have to be audible that that you would just take what I'm about to pray and you would make it specific to you that you would call on God to do what he wants to do in your heart and then as we sing this that you would respond how God's leading you we, we need to increasingly as a church put off some of our inhibition and so if it's get loud if it's raise your hands for some of, the, of you it's, it's contemplative and it's quiet it's on your knees in prayer it's allow these words to wash over you but I despise this becoming a ritual or a thing that we try to manufacture in an hour and instead just pause for a second to allow the spirit of God to move and work in hearts and lives so whatever that looks like for you you need to let that go and you need to allow God to do what he wants to do in this moment. And so let's just pray together. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that it is the only message and the only hope that is the weapon against everything that comes against us. And in the end, it will win out because it already has. You went to a cross and then you walked out of a grave alive and there is going to be a day. There is going to be a day where all wrongs and all evil and all pain will become untrue. You will wipe away every tear. You will handle every hurt. 
you will undo every injustice. You will lead us into a place of universal flourishing and wholeness because of you and because of your goodness, not because of us. And so even now, for those of us who name the name of Jesus, we lean into that reality even if we don't feel it emotionally. But we pray that the reality of the future would start to make its power known in our present. And so we declare together that we cannot and you can, and we look to the cross to remind us of the fact that you care and can carry. And we want to be honest with you because there is nothing to fear. If we placed our faith and trust in Christ, we have already been accepted. We have already been invited in. We are already a son and a daughter of God. We are already going to stand face to face with our Savior and be accepted and loved and seen as perfect and holy, not because of because we are, but because Jesus was on our behalf. And so there is no fear in love. And so we come to get honest about what we struggle with, about what is behind the things that we are fearing, behind the anxiety that is controlling. And in that act of humility, we are inviting you in. And so God, I pray that you would do the supernatural in hearts and lives all over this building, those who are podcasting. And in the day and days ahead, you would set a bunch of people free in Jesus' name. We ask this in your incredible, saving, defeating name, the name of Jesus. Amen.